We are in uh, a series that we are calling Deja Vu, um, Hope on Repeat, a, a really, really important conversation for us to be having. Um, we said it last week, I'm going to say it again. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you woke up this morning, that is heaven's way of reminding you there are still people God wants you to reach with the hope of his son. There are still people in your sphere of influence, in your world, that God wants you to reach with the hope of his son. The reality is we live in a county with over you know, 43,000 people who are considered unreached. Uh, there's no reason to believe that they've experienced the free and full forgiveness of Jesus Christ. There's no reason to believe that if life ended for them today, that they would step into the eternal bliss of the presence of God forever and ever and ever and ever. And that's one of the reasons why this church was launched. That's one of the mantles we feel is placed on us. To show and share the love of Jesus starting in our county with the people we work with, or the people we hang out with, with the people we go to school with, uh, with the people on our teams. Because heaven is reminding us, it is you who we are calling to share the hope of Jesus with the 43,000 plus people in your own county and beyond. Um, I don't think many of us argue with that. I, I think many of us embrace that, not just as an option, but as an order from heaven. This is our responsibility. What often trips us up is, yeah, but how do we do it? How, how do we share hope? It can be so daunting, it can be so intimidating, and people can ask trippy questions, and I may not know what to say, and I don't feel equipped, and I'm, I'm an introvert, and you know, um, uh, whatever, and, and we find ourselves just asking, yeah, but how do we do this? Which is why we're having this conversation to talk a little more on the practical side. What does it look like to share hope um, in our world? And this morning, we're going to look at uh, a story in the book of John. We've hang out in the book of John for a couple of weeks. And um, but this story, I think, really helps give us a very, I would consider this the most simple way to share hope with the people in our world. Anybody can do it. Um, each and every one of us could do it. And so we're going to look at a really simple story. As you read through the story, it's going to be one of those stories which is not going to leave you with questions. Like, I wonder what that means. It's going to be one of those self-explanatory questions um, that give us, I think, really simple insights into ways we can share hope simply with the people around us. So if you're a simple person like me, you're going to appreciate this story. But if, if you're super fancy and sophisticated and uncomplicated, can I just ask, bear with us simple folks uh, for a few minutes uh, while we dig in and uh, look at some simple practical helps. John chapter 9 is where we're going to be, starting at verse 1. If you uh, don't have a copy of the Bible, um, we're going to put the verses up here on the screen and you're going to be able to follow along that way. John chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Here's what it says. As he, he being Jesus, um, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, um, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. This guy was born blind. Jesus, tell us, whose fault is this? Who is to blame? 
What is the cause of this punishment? This, by the way, is such a human impulse. Is it not? Something is broken or something is wrong or something is painful or something is hard or something is messed up and we feel the need to to, to explain it. We feel the need to find fault many times if not to assign blame for it. How else do you make sense of this? Whose fault is it that this guy was born blind? Did he do something in his mother's womb Or did his parents do something that is now catching up with them? Is God judging this person? Is God judging his his parents? Is this maybe a demonic attack? You know, is this maybe a generational curse? What's going on, Jesus? And Jesus' answer is surprising and profound. Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. Now, he's not saying they've never sinned. He's saying that's not why this is happening. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is no one's fault. And by the way, some of us might be set free by those simple words from Jesus. This is no one's fault. Because some of you will torment yourself trying to find answers and trying to find solutions and try to assign blame like... How did we mess up as parents? Like, look at the trajectory of our kids. Did you do something wrong? Did I do something wrong? Somebody had to have done something wrong because how else do you explain this path that our kid is on? And sometimes Jesus is like, this is nobody's fault. Settle down. Did I do something wrong to stir the the tension in my parents' marriage? No, no, no. You didn't do anything wrong. Maybe we've done something wrong and that's why this is happening in our nation today because sometimes it's like, no. Jesus says, this brokenness was not for punishment. It was for purpose. In fact, I would suggest that this be the place We choose to start whenever there is an unexplainable pain or an unexplainable brokenness in our world. This would be my recommended place to start to assume it has purpose. Before we start trying to figure out whose fault is it and what happened and what's broken and what's wrong. I would recommend starting in this place because sometimes brokenness is a setup for God to show off his greatness and i wonder if there's maybe some explainable pain that you've been trying to explain as a consequence or punishment or a generational curse and maybe god is just fixing to show off his glory maybe he's a god who refuses to waste brokenness and our question ought to be what's the purpose in this versus the blame now don't get me wrong Don't go like stealing cabbage from, you know, the the farmer's market. End up in jail talking about why, Lord, that's you. Yeah, you, you did the crime. Now do the time like that's you. It's not talking about consequences of things, you know, uh, you're a little bit dumb about. It's talking about things we, we, we can't explain, but are trying to assign blame. 
unsolicited brokenness is never wasted. And this man's about to find out some of the purpose of his brokenness. And things just get super gross right before lunch, y'all. Ew, Jesus, verse 6. After saying this, this is in the Bible. You've got to read it. If you've never read this story, it'll trip you out. After saying this, he, Jesus, that is, he spit on the ground, okay? And then he made some mud with a saliva. Why is Jesus playing in the dirt with spit? <laughs> and then it gets worse. And he put it on the man's eyes. <laughs> this is so rich. Now, this guy has been blind from birth, by the way. And you hear it said that if, if one sense um, is removed, that some of the other senses become even more heightened. And I'm just going to go ahead and guess this guy's hearing was bat-like. He could hear just fine. So he hears Jesus talking, saying some things. And then silence. And then a few moments later, he hears. <sighs> hmm. <laughs> then a little silence like that sounded a little bit like. <clears throat> Please tell me that is not what I but the warm, slimy feeling leads me to believe it. Ew. This is ju- I, this is just a good Good story. <laughs> I don't have my sense of sight, but I have my sense of gross, and that is disgusting. Um, this is now again. I'll tell you, like I read the Bible sometimes, maybe a little bit too creatively, because I read this and it, it just occurs to me, like, hey, sometimes your gross is a prelude to to his good. I'm just saying. I know that's weird right before lunch, but hey, you know. Um, You want Jesus to heal you, but sometimes things get grosser and they get messier and you start to ask like, ew, Jesus, why are we experiencing all of this stuff? It feels like life has gotten a little bit messier. We were hoping for, hey, don't discount the mess. It may be part of the process to where he is taking things, but I just hope he never does this to me. But you know he's done some things to you where you're like, ew, like it took that. Couldn't you have just said the word and sent roses? Spit and mud. This is awesome. Verse 7. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, I'm pretty sure uh, this is not how this guy saw his day going, pun intended. Um, He had no idea. When he woke up, that this condition he had lived with his whole life would be reversed. It says he came home seeing. Now, I've got to pause and make a quick observation. Something that we've shared a number of times um, in this house. A recurring theme in the healing stories of Jesus. Jesus heals this guy, but there's a final step of obedience this man needs to take in order to experience, in order to to realize, in order to manifest this healing. Go, he says, and wash in this really public pool. This guy wastes no time apparently obeying Jesus, and he heads to the pool, and the moment after He washes this spit cocktail from his face. He sees. The moment after he washes, 
he sees. And I'm just talking to somebody who, who may be waiting on some kind of miracle. It's always worth asking, is there an act of obedience that the spirit is calling or convicting me to take? Is there something I've been feeling stirred to do? Because I'm telling you, oftentimes, Jesus will do something in us and then call us to do something in response in order to experience fully what he did. And I just wonder if some of you have been stirred or or feeling convicted to forgive that person you've been holding a grudge to because you may not realize that your unforgiveness is holding off that thing that you've been waiting on. Or maybe you've been feeling stirred to release a relationship. You know it's toxic. You know it's destructive, but you're holding on to this relationship and holding on to the hope that something is going to break through in, in your world. And I'm just wondering, maybe something... That he's stirring. Maybe a mess that you need to finally confess to somebody. Because how tragic if your miracle is waiting on you. This guy experiences the miracle that only Jesus performed in the Bible, by the way. The miracle of sight. It's a miracle that has such spiritual um, connotation. It's a picture of our spiritual blindness that only Jesus can reverse. But he heals this guy and returns his sight. And can we just slow down for a quick second and imagine, imagine what these moments would have been like for this guy walking home from the pool and seeing for the first time. This had to have been a trip. I just imagine. This guy is just like, ugh. People are kind of uglier than I imagined them in my head. And camels are weird. And green. That's strange. I pictured it more purplish. Um, and uh, I thought I was black this whole time. <laughs> All right. Um, the point being, this guy walks home full of discovery and full of astonishment. And people notice that he's walking around without help, without a cane, nothing. And they freak out and they start to argue about it because that's what people like to do. Verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging started posting and arguing on Facebook. Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was and others commented below. No, he only looks like him. But he himself actually saw the post and said, "Um, I'm the man. That ain't him, doppelganger. Fake news. Sometimes we just got to shut our mouths and just ask people. It's like, yo, it's me. No, we don't think so. The dude we're thinking about was totally blind. Verse 10. How then, if it's you, were your eyes open, they asked. And um, this is so good, by the way. This is another character. I just like this. Just a list of people I want to meet. He just made it to the list this week. This is a cool guy, and you're going to like him by the end of the story. Verse 11, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud soup, and he put it on my eyes. But look at this. He says, the man they called Jesus made some mud, <laughs> spares them the details, And he put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. 
Have you ever heard a more concise recap of exactly what happened? He doesn't embellish. He doesn't exaggerate. This guy just gets straight to the point. If this guy preached at Mission Point, y'all would be out by like 11.45. But mm, it shan't be. No. Um, this guy is cool. He's like, what had happened was um, Jesus, mud, ice, Wash, see. The end. <laughs> I like this guy. Um, just straight facts. They're not convinced. Verse 12. Mm. Where is the man? And you're going to notice, by the way, people are haters. Don't be surprised if they hate on you. This guy got healed. And in this entire story, no one's going to be like, oh, congratulations. Like nothing of the sort. Where is this man? They asked. Hmm. Oh, no. My favorite thing about this guy. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. He's so cool. Um, It's like, I don't know, he said. I'm just walking around trying to see stuff. Ooh, girl, what's your name? Um, That's not in there, by the way. I just made that up. Um, They don't like his response. So they, they abduct him. It's in the Bible. Verse 13, so they brought him to the Pharisees. You know that's not where he wanted to go. The Pharisees, these powerful religious leaders and experts in all things spiritual, the church folk. And they brought him to him, to to, to the Pharisees, verse 14. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud (laughs) and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. And there was a law that said you should not work on the Sabbath. And Jesus' whole thing, that's work. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Here he goes again. Uh, He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Straight facts, fellas. I've been over this with your friends already. Mud, face, wash, see. Sparks a sidebar. With these religious experts. I mean, they go off to the site and they have a furious theological debate. Verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Jesus can't be from God. He he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, well, but how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Ah, is he from God? Is he not from God? Let's take a vote. Nope, let's interrogate this guy a little bit more. Maybe get some clarity. Verse 17. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? Cast a vote. Help us out. I mean, it was your eyes he opened. Like he did something wrong now. The man replied, If you're going to ask me, I'm going team prophet. I'm going to go ahead and cast my vote and say, I think he's a prophet. Um, They didn't like this. Verse 18. They still didn't believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. I just congratulate the guy. Verse 19. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? We say we just got here. We haven't said anything. How is it that now he can see? And almost like they have a standard 
family response. Uh, they respond just like their boy. Mm-hmm. We can only tell you what we know. Verse 20. We know he's our son. Right, babe? Yeah, he's our son. Okay. No surprises? Maury? No. Okay. <laughs> he's our son. The parents answered. And we know, thank you, by the way. Somebody. <laughs> I can feel so alone up here, so thank you. Whoever that, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate you, Ryan. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but you distracted me a little bit. Uh, we know he's our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. And in one of the funniest exchanges in, in Scripture, by the way, um, his parents do what I think more helicopter slash control freak parents need to do a little bit more. Just let your kids speak for themselves, um, is what he does. They're like, um, he may have been blind, but he's not mute. He can speak for himself. Ask him. Look what they say. But, but um, how he can see? Or who opened his eyes? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. This is so good. He's a grown man. He shaves. He's potty trained. Ask him. (laughs) This is so good. But really, this is not parents who are deferring to their son like ask him. We like to relinquish control. They're actually cowards who are throwing their boy under the bus in front of these powerful leaders. Verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of church. (laughs) This is so good. Um, They'll be thrown out of the synagogue um, for believing Jesus is the Savior. Verse 23, that's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Jeez, thanks, guys. Good looking out. Um, Do you know how much shame we would experience if we got booted, if we got excommunicated from the synagogue, this center of Jewish worship? Our family has come under so much flack. We've already been viewed as spiritual scarlet letters because, you know, we sinned somehow, which is why our son was cursed by God and born blind. We've already had to deal with all of this drama. We've barely made it in to the fringes of this religious community. So we want nothing to do with getting booted out again and being on the bad side of these powerful religious leaders. So no thank you. Ask him. Second time, verse 24, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. In other words, give glory by agreeing with us. We know this man is a sinner. Tell the truth. Like my parents used to say, Kondo, tell the truth and shame the devil. Um, agree that Jesus is a shady sinner. And this dude is like, mm, oh no. Verse 25, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not. Mm, but Here it is. One thing I do know. I'll tell you what I know. I was blind, but now I see. (laughs) One thing I do know, though, I was blind, but now I see. I don't know all your religious Pharisees speak. All I know, all my life I was blind. And a few hours ago, (sighs) 
spit, mud, wash, see, and that guy did it. That's all I know. All I know is a few moments ago, I was blind, I ran into that guy, and now I can see your crabby mugs in high definition. (laughs) I'm just telling you what I know. You can ask me whatever you want. I was blind. Now I see Jesus did it. That's all I've got. And then they pushed this man a little bit too far. <laughs> Ooh, this is why I like him. Like details, please. Then they asked, verse 26. Well, okay, be specific. Like, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27. It's like, all right, fellas. I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? <laughs> this is just starting a fight. Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> you guys are really sprung on this Jesus guy. Like you're super obsessed. You can't let it go. You, want, you can't get enough of Jesus. Like are you auditioning for a spot on his discipleship team? Now he did it. You could not have said something more offensive to these rel- religious leaders. They start to lose their minds. They start to unravel like children. This is fantastic. They are ticked and they start Christian insults. Verse 28. Then they hurled insults at the man and said... You are this, this fellow's disciple, not us. You're his disciple. Uh-uh, not me, you. You know what you said, but I'm a glue, bounces off me. They just lose it. We are disciples of Moses. Moses, he's the real prophet. We know that God, he spoke to Moses. But as of this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. He's a nobody. They lose their and you're a dummy dumb head and no and we don't follow you follow um super juvenile moses is a real prophet your plastic prophet he's a chump no one's even heard of him he has no twitter followers he has nothing no one cares about him our prophet is better than your prophet and this guy is great you can like i've been dealing with blindness all my life six and stones if y'all think i'm going to be intimidated by whatever you have to say or what you can do to me Then he gets even more sarcastic than a um, uh, a teenage girl at the Sinfukwe home saying, Um, (laughs) check it out. Check check it out. He says in verse 30, the man answered, now this is remarkable. Hmm, interesting, dad. Um, (laughs) He is super sarcastic here. He says, now you don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Oh, he's baiting them. Like, hmm, interesting. A dude powerful enough to open my eyes, and y'all have never heard of him? You, the religious experts? Maybe that says more about you and who you all roll with. And he keeps going. And I don't know much, but we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. And no one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. No one has ever done this before. And God seems to work through people who walk with him. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Woo! So I don't know, Pharisee fellas. But maybe y'all are on the wrong side. Because God seems to be with him. You've never heard of him. So maybe the issue is with you. And they just straight up go dirty. Verse 34. This is nasty, by the way. 
To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. What do you know about God? He obviously hates you and he cursed you, which is why you were born. You're a sinner. Matter of fact, excommunicated. Get out of the synagogue. They boot him out of church. I will come back to this. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Um, So Jesus hears that this guy got kicked out of church and he goes looking for him. And I'm just telling you, despite what you might think, the opinion of the religious majority is not what matters most. I'm just telling you. The opinion of the church folk is not what matters most in the grand scheme of things. I notice that Jesus goes to the streets to find this man. He doesn't go to the synagogue to ask the Pharisees, hey, what happened with this guy? Give me your input. He doesn't care. He goes looking for this man. And in essence communicates to this man, hey, listen, your spiritual fate does not depend on their opinion, and it does not depend on that synagogue. I don't care what the religious people said or if they kicked you out of their building. Here's the question. One question upon which your spiritual fate rests. Do you believe in me? That's it. The only question heaven is going to dial into as far as your spiritual, your eternal faith is concerned is not, hey, did the church like you? Did they embrace you? Did they agree with you? Did they approve of you? No. Do you believe in me? And I'm just talking to someone who might have believed that what church people think about you and the judgments they pass on you is what ultimately determines your spiritual value. Nope. There is only one question that determines your spiritual fate. Do you believe in Jesus alone as Savior, as Messiah? And by the way, whoever you are, I pray that you will settle that question, that you will answer the question that Jesus posed to this man. Verse 36. Who is he? Who is this that you speak of? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, and think about the power of these words. You have now Seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. I just want to pause for a second and just ask you the question. Have you said, 
those words? Have you believed in Jesus alone for your salvation, for your forgiveness, for your eternal fate? Church cannot save you. The synagogue cannot save you. Knowing and hanging out with church folks cannot save you. The approval of your Christian family cannot save you. Being able to answer super fancy churchy questions cannot save you. A Christian college cannot save you. A seminary education cannot save you. Only believing Jesus alone is the savior can save you. Only putting the full weight of your soul's eternal fate on the person of Jesus as the only one who can forgive you, as the only one who can free you, as the only one who can cleanse you, as the only one who can assure you of eternity with him. Have you answered the question, do you believe in Jesus? And this, by the way, is a question that concerns me most for the people who've hang around the synagogue, who've hang around the church long enough. And after a while, we're so in with the church folks and we can answer all of the questions and we just assume when Jesus comes back, he's going to come to a fancy church meeting. But Jesus is going to ask one question. Have you believed in me as the only one who can save you? One question. That determines your spiritual fate. But, I like this story and I like the simplicity of this story because it so beautifully illustrates what I think is the easiest way to share about Jesus with the people in your world. Just testify. Just testify. Hmm. In fact, Jesus tells us how this hope would get out to the world. This is Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Look at what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this has happened, by the way. The Holy Spirit has come. If you've ever believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in your city, and then in your county, and then in your nation, and then to the ends of the earth. A witness is simply someone who testifies firsthand. That's what a witness is. Not an expert, um, not a person, you know, who knows all the answers. No, a witness is someone with a personal report. It's someone who testifies firsthand. Um, So when Jesus is speaking in Acts chapter 8, he's speaking to his disciples who are looking at him. There were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. They saw Jesus after he had risen from the dead. And he says, now you are witnesses to my resurrection. First-hand witnesses. I want you to go tell everybody what you have seen. Now, for those of us who, who haven't seen Jesus, we didn't see Jesus when he rose from the dead. 
We get to testify about the way the risen Jesus is showing up in our lives. And I'm telling you, the world will be changed by people sharing their firsthand Jesus stories. It's that simple. It can be that simple. John chapter 9 is this cool story of this guy who acts as a witness. That's all he's doing. He's just testifying. (laughs) They bring him through this and they took him through that and they did. He's just testifying. He's just sharing his firsthand Jesus story. And what I'm saying to you is if Jesus has done anything for you, you have a firsthand story to share. Testify. By the way, if you have a social media account, I know you know how to testify. We have no idea how to talk about Jesus. We just don't know. Like what? I've seen your social media. Every time you post on social media, you are testifying. You are speaking about something you like, something you saw, something you ate that no one cares about, you know, or something you hope to, to see. You're constantly testifying. We live in a testifying culture. Some of us testify 30 times a day. And then we get to Jesus and we're like, mm, I don't know how to testify. When you watch the latest Star Wars movie, you testify. You come and tell me all about it, and I don't care. It doesn't stop you. Do that. A couple practical things. Share what he did. Number one, share what he did. If you have a story of something Jesus did for you when you just couldn't, go ahead and testify. Tell somebody about it. Share with somebody. That's a powerful way to share hope and to point people to Jesus. Just share what he did. Share your firsthand Jesus story. What is the most impossible thing that Jesus has done that you've seen or that Jesus has done in your life personally? Testify. Um, As many of you know, Jesus led us down a path towards adoption in a pretty remarkable way. A co-worker had a dream about a girl, and none of us had seen her. We only knew the description. We had a glimpse of her name, and that was how he invited us into an adoption process. And now we have to find this girl somewhere in the world. We don't know where she is. Um, And we start going through this process, and the Lord starts to provide, and he starts to move governments, and he starts to, to open doors, and he starts to lead us clearly until... Yesterday, I was arguing with this girl in my house. I'm testifying. Do you know how many times people will ask me about my family? Because they ask. And every time they do, I have an opportunity to testify, to say, Jesus did something. When I'm in the tennis world, hanging out with people who don't know anything about church, don't know anything about the Bible, and couldn't care less, they'll ask me about my family. Like, let me tell you what Jesus did. He gave us a dream. That's weird. I know. And then he led us and he opened doors and he provided in this way. This is what Jesus did for us. Crazy. Like, mm mm-hmm. That's weird. Yeah. I know. But I get to testify. Come on. If Jesus has done something for you and you have a first-hand Jesus story, come on, testify. Share it with somebody. I messed up so badly. 
that I thought no one could ever want me. And Jesus completely forgave me. Post. Share it. I hurt some people in my life really terribly. And I thought those relationships were done for. And then we prayed and Jesus showed up. And man, we just spent Christmas together not long ago. Share about it. We had no idea how it would make rent work. We had no idea where the next paycheck would come from. And then somebody wrote us a note and said, I felt stirred in my heart to give you guys this amount of money. And it was the exact amount of money that we needed. Share about it. Come on, somebody. The doctor said there was no way you would ever be able to move that shoulder again. And now I'm doing the woe. Share about it. That's a weak woe. Don't judge me. I see you, Kennedy. Come on, man. Teach me. Don't judge. Teach. Share about it. Stuck in addiction for years, and I thought that is how I would die. And then Waymaker, miracle worker, chain breaker, came and snapped the shackles, and now I'm free. I don't understand it, but I'm going to share about what Jesus did for me. If you have a first-hand Jesus story, share it with the people in your world. Share it with the people in your world. I was so depressed, and some people prayed. I never thought I'd smile again. Testify. Share what he did. Start there. And please hear me. This will make some of you uncomfortable, and my response to that is come back next week. It doesn't have to be the gospel. You can share the good news of what Jesus did in your life. Do you understand that when I talk about my marriage, I don't talk about like, oh man, let me tell you back about the wedding day. Do you know what I'll talk about? I saw my wife last night. I saw her yesterday. We talked about this. We did errands. We went there. This is what we did. Right, because I'm talking about here's how the relationship actually worked. Just share how Jesus is showing up in your life. Because what that ultimately does is it points people to the person of Jesus in whom there's hope. So if nothing else, just start pointing them in his general direction. You are super loud on social media about other things. That's a great platform. You can share on social media. You can share in person. You can share at a, you know, lunch break. You can share you know, at recess. Um, listen in class, students, though. You know, I'm sorry, sir. I'm talking about Jesus here. Like, yeah, but do your work, though. You have a job. Do you have something to share? Testify. Um, And share what you know. Share what you know. Can I just take some pressure off of some of you and, and say, share what you know. I love that about this guy's story. You don't have to be an expert in Jesus to share about Jesus and what he has done. You don't have to understand it all to testify. You notice the guy, he didn't go to seminary real quick. Like to learn all the Pharisees speak. No, he didn't understand the Torah. He didn't understand all of the messianic prophecies. He didn't understand all of it. You notice this guy did not go real quick to medical school to learn how you might maybe perhaps possibly, you know, produce. And they kept asking medical questions. They, they, you know, like somehow he knew instant LASIK surgery, I think is may have, he, he didn't know. 
but he shared what he did know. And that's the theme in his story. Listen, this is all I can tell you. This is all I can tell you. And sometimes I think we feel like we need to have all the answers to all the questions people might possibly ever ask us about Jesus before we share about Jesus. No, just share what you know. What did he do for you? I like this. People argue with him. Like so many times. Well, no, he didn't. Are you sure he did? It's like, listen, I'm just telling you what I know. Well, then explain this. I don't know. I'm just telling you what I know. But what about? Mm-hmm. I'm just, people will argue with you. I don't know. All I know is I was blind. Now I see. All I know is I was a hot mess and he's forgiven me. All I know is we were financially strapped and had no idea how we were going to make it. And now I'm paying for your coffee. I'm just telling you what I know. I don't understand how new neural pathways are formed in in my mind and I don't have the compulsion to self-harm anymore. I don't know. All I know is Jesus showed up and now it's different. That's all I know. I don't know how my chemicals balanced. Just joy all of a sudden. Share what you know. I don't know what time Jesus got up from the grave or which way he went out of the tomb. I just know he is risen. He's alive and he's at work in my Life. I don't know how I was able to forgive my dad after 20 years. I just read one time where Jesus said, I must forgive. And I had the strange courage to be able to forgive him. That's all I know. How can you do this to our family? How can you? I, I don't know. I'm just telling you what Jesus did in my heart and gave me an ability to do something I never thought I would do. Your inability to explain everything should never keep you from sharing what Jesus has done, what you do know. The fact that you don't know everything should not stop you from testifying about the things that you do know. I like this guy in this story. Great question, y'all. I don't know. And I think sometimes we're too proud to say, oh, no. What verse exactly is that? You know what? I don't know. It may not even be a verse. But I know that's what Jesus did in my life. Forget what you don't know. We use that as an excuse. You have no idea how computer-generated imaging works. It doesn't stop you from telling me about Star Wars. I don't care. But you share it anyway. You would talk about that movie. It's like, wait a, wait a minute. What do you think they did in the computers, in the algorithms? I don't know, but it was a great movie. We do this all the time. You have no idea how the electoral college works stop lying but (laughs) you still talk about the election i'm just saying we do it all the time you have no idea what intentional grounding is but you still think bill belichick is cute so you talk about it like we do this all the time um now please let me say really quickly ignorance is not a spiritual virtue 
It's not what we're talking about, but I've got to get it out there. Ignorance is not a spiritual virtue. Hmm? So what does the Bible say? Oh, no. Preacher said, we don't need to know. <laughs> Listen, we want to grow to know. We want to grow to understand. What I'm telling you is the fact that you don't understand it all should not stop you from talking about what's happened to you. But we want to continue to grow. And then, you know, forget the results. Um, this, the Pharisees hated this guy's testimony and kicked him out of the synagogue. That's how his testifying went. I'm just talking to somebody who thinks, and when we share about Jesus, people are going to be like, oh, thank you, Lord. We're following him with our lives. Like sometimes, a lot of times they'll ignore you. A lot of times it's like, did you guys hear me? Did anyone even read Did this post? Did anyone see it? And it would just feel like crickets at times. This guy's response to being healed was just interrogation and then insults. And then he got excommunicated from the synagogue. And in my mind, that is so freeing because the goal is not to convince people or to get people to like us or to get people to say, like, what you said made the most sense. Our goal is to point people to Jesus. And I share this with so many of you, like, my mom did this all of our lives. And I'm like, oh, my word, mom, please stop. I care as much about Jesus as I do about Star Wars. Stop, right? But she shared Jesus, and she shared Jesus, and she shared Jesus. Because the goal is not necessarily to try and bring about a certain result or to get the Pharisees to be like, we agree with you. Or to get your family to be like, oh, we celebrate all of this. It's to point people to the only hope, ultimately, for their salvation. Um, My personal story is... And I was a, a teenager who was living for the party and living for the dating scene. And how much pleasure can I collect? And um, one day, it's, it's like Jesus interrupted me. And, um, and I'll still remember it vividly. I was probably, man, almost 17 years old. And it's almost like he asked me, Kondo, of all of the chasing that you're doing, of all of the things that you're chasing, how many of them are guaranteed to be here tomorrow? That's how my life changed. I started sitting there by myself, going through the list of all of the things. My friends, no, they could be taken away tomorrow. My family, no, they could be taken away tomorrow. Um, popularity, that could be taken away tomorrow. Like a girlfriend, no, that could end tomorrow. Uh, like what? I had a crisis. There is nothing in my life that's guaranteed to be here tomorrow, and yet I'm spending all of these energies chasing after these things that have no guarantees. And it was then that came rushing back to mind, this Jesus my mom had pestered me with all of my life. And I remembered something about him who never leaves and who never forsakes. I remembered something about him who is eternal. And I remember in that moment turning my life over to him. And saying, I believe in you. I trust in you as the only one who is guaranteed to be here tomorrow. That's that's what happened for me. And that's how simple my salvation story is. Now, later on, I started to learn more things about, you know, sanctification and regeneration. And, you know, all of those fancy things. But at that moment, it's just a crisis of like, I've got nothing guaranteed to be here tomorrow. 
And I think it happened because I'd lost one thing and now I'm thinking about what else? And it's into that space that Jesus stepped in. And um, I would ask you that, by the way. Um, Do you have what's guaranteed to be here tomorrow? And really the question is, do you believe in Jesus as the Savior? The only one who can forgive you, the only one who can free you. And if not, I would invite you to make this the day that you, along with this man who received this sight, would say to Jesus, I believe you are the only one who can forgive me. I believe you are the only one who can save me. I believe my future is guaranteed with you. And he will change your life. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, come on, let's share who he is and what he's done. This is a really simple way. He's done something, share about it. I will be monitoring your social media outlets for the next week, judging y'all for what you... But you have such an opportunity to share the simplest thing. We prayed for this, and Jesus answered it. Doesn't even have to be... It's just we prayed for something we just didn't know what to do about, and Jesus answered it. And that's it. And we're starting to share hope with the people in our world. You can do that. I can do that. And our county needs us. To start to testify to the ways the risen Savior is showing up in our lives. Father, I pray for anyone who you may be stirring. And I don't know what you're doing in the lives of the different ones of us. For some of us, maybe there's a miracle that you're working in us. And you're just calling us to take that last step of obedience that we've been holding out. And I pray for a fresh dose of your courage to step through. And do that. Lord, I'm, I'm praying for some of us who've maybe hang out in the church for a long time. And we've started to mistake being associated with the church with believing in you. And I just pray that you would bring us to this place where we declare for the first time or maybe redeclare it is Jesus alone who saves. Lord, I'm praying for some who maybe have never put their faith in you. That this would be a moment that they step in and their lives are changed forever as they declare, Jesus, I believe You are the Savior, and I ask you to be my Savior. And I pray for all of us. Lord, unleash a movement of your people who just can't stop sharing about you in the simplest of ways. We are not experts. There's so many things we don't know, but we know you are good, and we know that you've shown up in our lives. Give us the courage and open our mouths to speak about what it is that you have done. And start to awaken our culture and our community as people are pointed in your direction. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.